Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Larry Jacobs. Today's January 31st, 2024, and I've got a great show for you today here on Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio as he gallantly turns down the music. I've got author Benjamin Harold here, and Ben just wrote a book called Disillusioned, which was, I'm proud to say, briefly noted in this week's uh, New Yorker magazine is one of the books you should read, and I'll read you that in just a few seconds. Ben wrote this amazing book about education and sociology in American, uh, America's suburbs. It's called Disillusioned, Five Families and the Unraveling of America's Suburbs. And Ben is an education reporter. He's been with NPR and the, the, the PBS station in Philadelphia, Education Week, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, Knows his stuff, and I have a feeling he started to write a book about education. We're going to ask him before you knew it. It became uh, even a, a more sociological book where he dissects the life of five families as they go through living in the suburbs and the intricacies of the school district and the infrastructure of the school, uh, school of the uh, suburb and how everything came together. So I'm going to let Ben tell it better than I will. Just want to introduce every everything that we do here. We uh, have a home website at ace-ed.org. That's our consortium on equity and education. I hope you go over there. Everything's free over there, including our awards program, the Equity Awards, all the podcasts we do, the magazine, which is Equity and Access Pre-K-12, our online journal. And again, everything is free. So I please, I hope you take a few minutes and check it all out. Now we're going to talk to an author who wrote an eye-opening book about what's going on, something we all kind of know, but he's got it nailed. That's Ben Harold. Hi, Ben. It's Larry here. Good morning to Philadelphia, hey, my hometown. <laughs> Good morning. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, man, it's my pleasure to have you here. And congratulations on the New Yorker mention. I think that's fabulous. Yeah, it's been a great week. Yeah, that's, that's a great week indeed. When you get you know, all the books that are published, and to get one of four books mentioned and deep, briefly noted in, in the New Yorker is a big deal. Ben, why don't you? I, I can do it. I read the book. It's fabulous. Uh, it's eye opening, if I do say so myself. Uh, you brought to light a lot of things I was thinking, okay? And there is a disillusionment out there with America's suburbs. I taught in Philadelphia's, Philadelphia's suburbs for a long time, and they've changed as well. Okay, the inner suburb. So, Ben, let's get started. Tell, tell, tell a little bit about yourself. You have a master's in urban education, but this goes, this carries urban into suburban. Okay, let's start there. Okay, how'd you get the idea? Yeah, so uh, it actually started with uh, my hometown. So I grew up in an uh, inner ring suburb of Pittsburgh called Penn Hills. Um, and I'm white, my family's white. What state is Pittsburgh in? I understand it's somewhere near Philadelphia. Would I be correct? <laughs> It's on the other side of the country from Philadelphia. Never heard of it. A, I don't know what that could be. Right, keep going, please. I'm sorry. I had to do it. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, I grew up there in the 70s and 80s and 90s, um, and, and it was a community that worked really well for, for my family and for me and for families like us, you know, middle class, mostly mobile white families. And so I graduated high school there in 1994, and, and I left, and I really didn't look back. And it wasn't until about 20 years later I started seeing all of these headlines coming out of Penn Hills, and they were centered around the school district. You know, you had this 4,000-student district, 
that had somehow run up this massive $172 million debt. And that, you know, the ripple effects of that were really flowing through the town. They were, you know, laying off teachers and slashing programs and raising taxes. Home markets, were, home values were starting to stagnate. So you could see all these problems. And, you know, as you mentioned, like I'm, I'm a, my background as an education reporter. I covered the school district of Philadelphia for many years. So I was used to seeing kind of school systems in crisis, but I wasn't used to seeing that in the suburbs. And so I got really, you know, interested in what was happening in my hometown and why it was happening and how it was connected to the experience that my family had there. But I also wanted to know if this was something that was happening in other communities around the country. And when I started traveling and talking to to families living in in five different suburbs in different parts of the U.S., you know, what I learned was that there was this very common cycle uh, that was really uh, kind of pulling the rug out from families all over the country. It's amazing. And and by the way, I want to say I I grew up, I'm older than you. I grew up in West Philly and I am a graduate Mm -hmm. K-12 of Philly public schools. And when Mm -hmm. I went to Philly public schools, and remember, I was a little white guy. Okay. My schools in West Philly were terrific. Then I graduated. Mm -hmm. I think I told you this Overbrook High School. Okay. And Mm -hmm. I, I, I got a great education. And you just mentioned it. Now it's a, it's a, it has been, I hope it's getting better, a district in crisis. Okay, and I know it has has had troubles mm-hmm. over the past number of years. Okay, I hope it's getting better on on that side. Okay, and I know a lot of people who live in South Philly, which is Yuppieville now. All right, and uh, when, when when I was there, was the are you in South Philly? Are you in South Philly? I live in Germantown. German, good. All I lived in Cheltenham. Okay, and mm-hmm. um, close enough to Germantown. My my days right from Philly in colonial days. Okay. But it, in South Philly, there's a lot of young families moving in, and then when their kids get to be school mm-hmm. age, they move out. And I don't That's know right. where they're going. That's what we're going to, going to be talking about today, which kills the school district. It kills the school district. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it, to me, okay, what you said, you know, that we see a disintegration. It used to be the dream to go to, right. go to suburban schools. Okay? But we're... What we learned from your book is that it's not easy, and I know you started this in Penn Hills, and, and the story of the family in Penn Hills, one of the five families that's outside of Pittsburgh, would have made a great book. That would have made a great mm-hmm. book right there, okay? That still could have been called Disillusioned, okay? But I, I'm curious, how did you find four other families? Did you just kind of knock on doors? What would you do? Yeah, that's a great question, and part of what I, you know, I came to recognized pretty early in the process was, hey, this is not just my hometown. This is something that's happening in suburbs all over the country. But part of what's hard to see about this kind of cycle of development and decline that's really kind of eroding our suburban dreams is it's hard to see if you look at one community at a, and, and a, a single snapshot of a single point in time. Because this is really a cycle that plays out over generations and it plays out over whole metropolitan areas. So I wanted to find communities that were at different stages of the same cycle, starting with a new community, really still just being built um, in the exurbs about 30 miles north of Dallas, and then kind of following all the way through the spectrum to to Compton, California, which was a place that we don't really think of as a suburb anymore. But up until the you know early 1950s, it was an all-white, uh, exclusively uh, you know kind of bedroom community of Los Angeles um, that was actually home to the Bush family and had gone through this yeah. cycle in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. 
And so the five communities really are meant to show this cycle, what it looks like from beginning to end. And then within there, I met families who had children in the public schools in each of these different communities. And I met them by knocking on doors, by talking to local wow. realtors, talking with local advocacy organizations, referrals from the school system, uh, et cetera. So it's, you know, it really kind of comes at this issue from two sides. One, we have this big cycle, which I end up describing as a Ponzi scheme. This idea that yeah, all the yeah. benefits that families like mine got from suburbia were really paid for by pushing the cost off on the future generations who are having to deal with it now. So you have this cycle playing out again and again, but you also have the families that are really trying to, you know, live through it and navigate it and figure it out. Yeah, it's, it's almost like the way they talk about the national debt, that it's not us, it's our grandchildren who will be paying exactly. for it. Everything's yeah. pushed to the future. And finally, the future mm-hmm. happens. Okay, and the house of cards the falls down. The you know, it, 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 come due. they always come due at some point. I think Billy Joel once wrote a song about that, if I'm not mistaken. The rent comes due somewhere <laughs> along the line. It really does, <laughs> and we have to think about that. So, what did what did you were you shocked by this as you started to really get into this? Okay, were you shocked mm-hmm. by what was going on out there? I was uh, very much so. And there's still sometimes I have to like just remind myself of like, you know, some of the basic kind of facts because we have so many myths about suburbia. You know, we think yeah. of the white picket fences and the neatly mowed lawns and the all single family homes. But the reality is that suburbia hasn't been that kind of wonder years, leave it to Bieber kind of space in a really long time. But those myths hold on, we hold on to them really tight. So part of the disillusionment for me was really saying, oh, wait, I have to like let go of all of these weird blinders and filters that I have to be able to see what's actually happening. And one of the numbers that really just sticks with me with that is that America's suburban public schools uh, are already majority non-white. White kids are already a minority. My next question. And those demographic changes are really driving a lot of this kind of anxiety and political conflict and social cultural conflict that we're seeing a lot of these communities. And I didn't, I, you know, I don't think I have fully grasped how deep and dramatic the scale of the demographic changes are as one. And then two, it, to realize that there was just thousands and thousands of communities that all really kind of built up in this same period, this post-war period, 50s and 60s, communities that were really built overnight and largely centered around young families, mostly white families, right. in their public schools. And so what you see now is now that those communities are 40, 50, 60 years old, all of that infrastructure, the public schools, the roads, the sewers, the sidewalks, is getting old all at once. And because we haven't been paying for it, because we've been pushing the costs off onto the future, when the bills suddenly come due, they hit really, really hard. And it tends to be black and brown and poor and immigrant families that deal that bear the brunt of that. And that's what we're seeing all over the country. And I think that's a really, really alarming thing. Yeah, and, and, and i got to ask, you have a degree from Temple, same place my wife went, and you have a degree from mm-hmm. Temple University in urban education, okay? That's right. Yeah. Which, That's right. They and got so, that. you know, I went to, to – Go ahead. I, I, you know, I, again, initially I had you know, got my start uh, in public education with working in Philadelphia public schools, and that led me to the urban education program at Temple, which is a great experience. But yep. part of what right. I really learned and realized in through reporting this book was that many of the like experiences and backgrounds that I had learned in an urban context, looking at things like racial equity and demographic change and economic crisis and you know so many of the problems that we 
typically, you know, again, in our mythology, we kind of associate with urban schools. Really, there's not that urban-suburban divide anymore. In fact, what you, you see, many suburban districts, particularly the older inner-ring suburban districts, really, like, demographically, economically, infrastructure-wise, budget-wise, they often look very much like uh, big city districts now. They, they, that was exactly my question, and, and, and I can tell you, I taught in Cheltenham, the first, di- right. the first suburb, uh, right near you, by the way, uh, as you well, though, uh, attached to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You go up on North Broad Street, mm-hmm. boom, cross Cheltenham Avenue, you're in Cheltenham, okay? Right. <clears throat> and I'm, I'm curious, okay, how, when, when a school district sees this happening, did, did you find that they were looking for the right people to run the district? Okay, the district is changing, Okay. They, they need people who are trained in, if I may, urban education, whatever the hell that is, okay? So because the district is changing, okay, racially, sociologically, economically, et cetera, et cetera, which it wasn't, but it is, okay? Not, not racially, economically, okay? It tends to run together, unfortunately, all right? And all of a sudden, Ben Harold, who's an education reporter and wrote this incredible book, you're also, by the way, congratulations, I'm like the Wizard of Oz, you're now a sociologist as well. Congratulations. <laughs> Okay, you know, are, are they, the, the suburban educator, let me make this point, has to read the book Disillusioned, okay, mm-hmm. because the suburban educator really has to not just know it from the inside, but know it from the outside. A, they're not alone, this is happening everywhere, okay, the suburban administrator has to know it, because things are changing, we can't let this happen, Right. we cannot let this happen. All right. Well, I think where, what we've seen in a lot of these, dist- what we've seen a lot yeah, of the districts is, you know, this sense of you know the community in the public school system was really built for one type of family at one point in time. So really looking for you know a yeah. mobile young middle class white family, and the, the kind of the, the school system kind of gets built in the image of those families meeting their interests and values and needs, and so it's kind of you know relatively easy to run a school system when you only have one kind of family that you're trying to serve. And so part of what becomes an issue is when, you, you know, a community gets older, people fight to get in there because they want to get the same benefits that those early generations of white families got. As the system starts to diversify, what you see is two things. So one, there's a sense of this kind of pervasive sense of like, oh, we can't change what's always worked. And that is kind of uh, becomes a really problematic uh, energy inside a school district because it's worked. The question is worked for whom? And just because it works for one population at one point in time doesn't mean it's going to work the same for another population at another point in time. And then also to realize that in many of these communities, public school systems are major drivers of jobs. And so, you know, there's a lot of sense of like, hey, you know, the the teaching staff that we have here, the administrative staff, the facility staff, like those jobs are really valuable. And, you know, the communities who are able to build these institutions and find jobs for friends and family members and cousins and brothers, like you don't want to give that up. And so what we see in a lot of communities is this mismatch. The population changes really dramatically. So you have, you know, go from a predominantly white, all uniformly middle class community to a community that's much more racially and economically diverse. But the school system's workforce doesn't change and the curriculum doesn't change the discipline policies don't evolve the dress codes don't evolve and so you see like that's why it comes up that's why i focus so much on um, on the schools in these communities because it comes up there first the tensions resulting from these changes and kind of who belongs and who doesn't in the community they show up in schools first and schools are often really these suburban public schools are often really poorly equipped to deal with that because they're trying to hold on to the past not adapt right. to the present and they're trying to hold on to the past because, quote, that's why people are moving there. It's a vicious cycle right. of, of psychology. It's a vi- 
Okay, very you want so. really everything's is. changing, but you, you want to you want to keep things the way they were because more and more people try to come in and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I wanted to ask you this, and this is this is key to my, first. I just want to say something about what you said. What's so important is that this, the school district has to reflect the community, and that's very hard to do because a lot of times the community does. And when I say the community, I mean the people in the community. They don't want to become teachers or educators. They need people from – that's why this grow-your-own thing that the school district uses might be more important than we think. It's not just to get right. people to become teachers. It's to get people to become teachers who reflect the community. They actually grew up in the community. Okay, right. and, and what you'll hear from in many suburb, in many of the suburban districts, you'll hear, you know, the, a really consistent complaint from families of color in particular is a sense of the adults in the system, they don't tend to my child as if he or she is their own. There's this sense of, like, you don't fully belong. We're kind of constantly policing you and watching you. We're not looking out for your best interest. Or there's this kind of mismatch. And that can, you know, it has awful effects from academically to behaviorally, culturally, attendance-wise. You know, all of these things kind of play out. And a lot of it does stem from this, you know, this kind of mismatch that you see between the, the system and the, the families that it's serving and the reluctance to adapt. Can we save it, Ben? You know, I think we can, and we see like some really interesting examples of it. But I think there's two things that we really need. One, there's always you know a question of money and resources, and then two, there's this you know we have to really let go of our own uh, kind of illusion, illusions and myths about who suburban schools are for and how they should work. And so, in the book, one of the communities that I follow is Compton, California, yep. and it becomes this really straight out of Compton. Campus. So again, we don't. We don't think of Compton as a suburb because of NWA and the you know movies and popular right. culture and music that's come up since the 80s. But what we see there now is you have you know it's still a bedroom community. It's still 15 miles south of downtown LA. It's still small you know 900 square foot bungalows all over the the you know kind of lining the streets yep. all over town. But what you see now is that the school district is 80% Hispanic, 16% black, overwhelmingly low income, and a lot of English learners. And so those are the kids and families that historically suburbs have tried to exclude. But now they're the entirety of the population in that district. And it's taken a long time for Compton to get there. But what you see now is you have a leadership of a school system that's saying we need to extend that same generous social contract, lots of resources, lots of opportunities, and then also lots of grace and kindness and kind of that uh, nurturing attention to the kids in this community because they're the ones who are going to make you know, make America's future. Um, even though they were the kids who were typically excluded, like we are not only including them, but really kind of lavishing them with that same kind of generous social contract that suburbia used to give to white families. And that's a powerful model, but it's hard to get there. It is hard to get there indeed, and we really got to make it happen. And, and the reason we have to make it happen and we've got to make it happen for the kids, but we also have to make it happen for everyone. And we're, we're feeling this pain now. We got If we don't train kids to exist as adults and do well as adults, okay, we lose right. them. We lose them. Right. We lose their expertise. These kids aren't stupid, okay? These are, these are kids who are going to be adults who are just as bright as everybody else. Okay, and if we don't give them right. all the education they need, it's it's us who pay the price. Okay, and the generic and us. Okay, it's, un, it's part un, of what just I a saw vicious cycle. That, yeah, that was again like sticking in Compton for a moment. Part of what was really powerful there again, you see it from both sides. So when I talked to the superintendent there, who's an African American man named Darren Brawley, like he was very clear of like, you know, this is not just a professional responsibility for him; it's a personal responsibility. He's yeah. like, you know, these kids are going to be paying into my retirement. 
they're going to be the ones funding infrastructure repairs in the communities that I live in. Like, I need to educate them because I'm going to depend on them. But then what you also saw at the school level was this sense of, you know, the boy I followed there, he was a, he, I met him, he was in fourth grade, and Jacob Hernandez, just an amazing, you know, wonderful, curious, bright kid, full of questions and ideas. And so part of what was so amazing to, to watch him and his experience at Jefferson Elementary School in Compton was that so much of what he got to do was about try, almost like trying on different outfits, like, but for different futures. So he would do mock trial companies. There would be ro- robotics <laughs> challenges, development challenges. He tried to start a class newspaper. There were, you know, engineering lessons. All of these different things where he got to really imagine himself into, into different futures. And so the lesson that stands out to me, like that I still think about all the time, is he was actually, he and his classmates were asked to write a narrative essay. And the assignment was, write a narrative essay imagining that you've just finished your first day of work at Lucasfilms. And the kids loved it. And Jacob, the boy that I was following, he, like, you know, had it from top to bottom. He's like, I got up. I got in my Tesla. I went over to the school. You know, I hung out with Luke. We were prototyping new lightsabers. And it was, you could just see not only his creativity and talent and intelligence kind of coming out, but, again, yeah, exactly. the sense of and his creativity future is mine and I have to make it. Yeah, and by the way, with this Tesla, don't go to cold weather. They don't run well in cold weather. We almost finding out. <laughs> Southern year. California Just, has its advantages. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell him that. So uh, you're a Philly guy. You know, make sure he knows. Don't take the Tesla to Illinois or here where I live now in Maine. Okay, they don't work. Okay, it's it, it's that simple. You know, I have to ask you if the suburb, the inner, and, uh, when we say the suburbs, okay, are you thinking mm-hmm. mostly? And Compton's a good example. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, Evanston is another good example, right off of the first suburb city outside of, of <clears> Chicago. Okay, are, when you do when you did your work, are you talking about? Uh, I'll use Chicago as an example. I used to live there too. Okay, so you've got Evanston, which is a wonderful place. Okay, I used to live right next to it in Rogers Park in Chicago. Okay, uh, are, are you talking about the inner suburbs? Because then when you start walking to the outer suburbs. Okay, and I'm going to – in Philly, it would be like Abington. You go off to Bucks County and, 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 all, and all those districts. Okay, the other way would be media, et cetera, et cetera. Chicago, it would be Wilmette and Winnetka and all that sort of stuff. Where's the mm-hmm. sweet spot? In, as you were looking at all this, okay, because we're still moving away from the city into what we tend to call suburbs. Where, where's the sweet spot in all this? Were you able to figure that out, Ben? Well, I think if there that's is a kind sweet of part spot. of the problem that we're having now is that there's not one. And so, the, you know, we, when I kind of talk about suburbs and we look at the five communities uh, that I got to know in the book, they're really uh, uh, diverse, not just racially and economically in terms of the population, but they're very different types of communities. So you have a place like Compton that's really this kind of inner ring bedroom community. Evanston is, uh, you know, it's really like a 19th century streetcar suburb, and it has these big, beautiful homes and these oh, old-growth trees and wide streets and it's right on the lake. And, so the Northwestern, and you know, yeah. outside of Atlanta, it's more of a kind of like the 1970s sprawl where you have shopping centers <laughs> yeah. and parking lots and big malls right. everywhere. So all Good of point. these are the suburbs. We have these kind of images that a suburb is one thing. It's really lots of different kinds of but part of what was so alarming to me coming out of the four years of reporting for and writing the solution was that there's not one of these types of suburban communities that's working and all of the others are not. What's happening is that the, this cycle is kind of churning through all of these types of suburban communities. It's just in different stages at different places. And so what you see is like a place like Compton, that cycle is already swept all the way through it, and it's just now kind of getting back on its feet afterwards. 
And a place like Penn Hills outside of Pittsburgh, where I grew up, really the yeah. storm is like just really hitting right now. And if you look at a place like Gwinnett County, what you see is, okay, this is outside of Atlanta. As recently yep. as 1990, it was 90% white, still a very new community, et cetera. And now, you know, 30 years later, the demographics have totally flipped. Um, the school board is, uh, has totally changed. The, there's yep. a lot of change happening within the school system. But what we are also seeing at the same time is like the, that original life cycle of the community is starting to run out. And so you have a population that's suddenly getting old. It's suddenly getting very diverse. There's transit needs. There's medical needs. There's language service needs. All of these needs that this community has that it's not really designed to meet. So just as the demographics change in the community and control of the school system kind of switches hands, you also have this kind of like time bomb of expenses that kind of hits right at the same time. And, and it's amazing. And I want to ask you, this. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but you do know education well. Okay. Where does, um, the, the, where does higher education fit in, in terms of training people? Okay. To, to understand what's going on. Is there, a, and I don't know whether you know this, but is a good mix of sociology, all right, as well as education as you're training new administrators. Because, like you said, this ain't your daddy's Oldsmobile anymore, okay, to show my age of the commercial from the 1970s, okay? It ain't your daddy. They don't, do they still make Oldsmobiles? I'm not even sure. Okay, I don't think they do, okay? But the point is that things are changing, all right? And right. Are, are, are the, are, is teacher – I don't think it is, but it's teacher training. is administrative training. Is superintendent training changing enough to meet the needs of what's going on out there? Maybe they look outside of education for the next innovative leaders. I, I don't. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think that's um, like that's a, uh, one of the big fights that we're seeing, uh, not just in education, but in the at large. And, and it's this sense of you know who are these communities for, and whose values and interests and priorities should they reflect? And I think what you see in many cases, particularly at colleges of education, is this real focus on racial equity, on teaching history more fully and accurately, on, you know, kind of being, you know, making racial equity kind of the center of what uh, being prepared to be an educator or administrator is all about. And in many mm -hmm. suburban communities, particularly those that are on the front edge of the cycle where these demographic and economic changes are just starting to happen, you see a really, really strong resistance to that. And that's part of why we see, you know, these fights kind of blowing up at suburban school board meetings all over over the country about curriculum, about DEI initiatives, about discipline, right. about book bans, all of this. There's this kind of deep-rooted sense of these communities that have historically meant one thing to us. There's a place where we kind of put our dreams and we kind of put up walls around them and, you know, we kind mm -hmm. of get as much as we can for we ourselves do. out of them. Like that's, we're losing that ability. We're losing that. That's going away. And there's a lot of anxiety and anger and frustration around that. And, you know, it's, but part of what we need to remember is that part of the reason for that is because those communities and those school systems were never really intended and certainly not in actuality <laughs> to deliver those same benefits for everybody. And now that we have the demographics changing, we have, you know, many of the formal barriers to entry to suburbia have come down. Families of color have gotten in there. And what they want are, you know, good schools, safe streets, you know, a pathway to the, the same thing, well, but also but yeah. also for my kid to be recognized and valued and his or her culture to be appreciated and, and respected as well. And that's the part where it's like, okay, the, the friction really comes in. Yeah, it's hard. It, 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 it's hard. It's hard to do for everybody. So, Ben, as we wind down here, let me ask you, your thoughts for the future, okay? The, the book is mm – -hmm. by the way, the book, i got to tell you, is a great read. 
Okay, it's really terrific. Okay, not only is the subject terrific, but the way it's written is terrific. Okay, and I and, and I enjoyed every minute of it. Okay, and I mean it. But um, where do you see? Do you, can this all work out? I mean, really and truly, it's just Compton's trying to do trying to do better. They need money to do it. They need community support, et cetera, et cetera. And it's hard to do because a lot of those people are from different cultures. The culture is different. As you look at a school in Mexico or Guatemala or Honduras, they bring that culture with them. It's different from an American school system. Okay. What's your thoughts about, you know, where, where we're going to go with all this? Do you think, can we do it? I think, I think that, I think the first thing that I want people uh, who walk away from reading Disillusion to, to, you know, come away with is the sense that we're really just at the beginning of this kind of era of unwinding and unraveling of the suburban dream. It took a hundred years to build our, our kind of suburban nation up, and now it's just starting to unravel. And we should expect that this is going to be a really contentious process all over the country for decades to come. And so part of what that means is we need to be able to have new ways of, recognizing the reality of suburbia to be able to like when we drive around our communities our neighborhoods to say oh wait i understand why this community we see all the vacant stores uh you know see all the you know kind of financial problems starting to pop up here but not in the next community wondering how like you should have a better sense of what suburbia is all about and what's actually happening yep. in the suburbs so that we can kind of you know engage in this you know what's going to be a decades-long process um, kind of honestly and sincerely. But I think the second part of that is, again, we really need to have um, these kind of like new, new dreams to carry us through what's, what's ahead. What we look at, you know, there's really three big dreams that we build American suburbs and their schools on. One was this idea of like white racial exclusion and advantage. The second was this idea of um, equal access and opportunity coming out of the civil rights movement. And then the third was this idea of like maybe the suburbs are where we can finally make racial integration work. And what we're seeing now in community after community, different types of suburbs and different type parts of the country, different types of populations, different ages, et cetera, is that all three of those dreams kind of feel like they're crumbling and colliding right now. And so what yeah, we just, need to carry us through is really a dream that's really focused on how do we repair, how do we renew, how do we maintain, um, because it's going to be a rough patch. And if we kind of expect that we're going to have this kind of like easy, heavily subsidized dream delivered to our doors and not have to pay for it in perpetuity, you know, in the future, like if we can't let go of that, we're going to have a big problem. You're right. And was it was it your book? I read the quote. I was thinking about it's so great. I, somebody said, I, I think I read it in your book. That the definition of integration is is for the time period from when the first people of color move into the neighborhood to when the last white people move out. Was that in your book? Yeah, Saul Alinsky was uh, had said that. Yeah, and we see that it's in terrible lot, quote, but it's so true. It's so true. We've got to stop this. Yeah. Oh my God. Because part of what's happening now and part of what, you know, disillusion, you know, is all about is this, you know, what we have historically done as Americans and as suburbanites is when, you know, the, the demographics start to change and things, you know, the friction really starts to ramp up. We just move out. You know, the whitest and wealthiest yeah, exactly. families move out exactly. to a new community further out into the countryside and we recite, restart this Ponzi scheme cycle over new. And that's part of why the problem has spread so far is this pattern of just running away, moving out, restarting it over. But we're really running up against the limits of that right now. And so at some point, there's no more away. You can't keep running away from it. You have to live together and figure it out. And the demographics and the economics yeah. of suburbia are meaning that, like, now is the time. Like, that, this, that's starting to happen now. And it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds. 
It really does. And just ask any realtor the first question any family asks. They don't ask how are the sewers. They ask how are the schools. Okay, yeah. that's, that's what the basis of real estate is. How are the schools? Okay, and a lot of people can't answer that well anymore, although some realtors do no matter what. Okay, but we have we have to change that. And what you said a few minutes ago struck me. I just have to say this anecdotally, okay? That this is going to be a long process. And in this country, right. the the definition of long is getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Right. And last right. night, Carol and my wife and I were watching TV, and there was an ad for Dunkin' Donuts. You can now Dunkin' Donuts is the place you run in, you get a cup of coffee and a donut, you run out. Okay. Now you can call ahead. Even running in and running out is now, we can't even do that anymore. We can't wait that long. Okay, now we have to call ahead for our our, 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 our breakfast sandwich, okay, and our cup of coffee or our glazed donut and a cup of coffee. We have to call ahead. We can't even wait that long, okay? So for the country, we have to really think about, okay, what long-term means these days, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's a tough process in this day and age, instant gratification, Okay, I, I right. remind you that when you call in for your next Gorillaz Donut, Ben, that Duncan. Okay. <laughs> I will think of you next time. And, yeah, and I think you're exactly right, though. I think that, you know, part of what, um, you know, what makes communities work and school systems work over time is when there's a sense of this intergenerational context where I'm not trying to just get everything that I can for me and my family right now and leave behind a mess that someone else has to clean up, when it's how can I make this work for me and my family in the present, but also make sure it works for the next generation as well, even if the next generation doesn't look like it. And I it think ha- that's it not something to. we've been really good at, but um, that's, that's where we need to get. Right. Well, it's just, it's just amazing. So from one Philadelphia, well, you're a Pittsburgh guy, but I assume you're a Philadelphian now. This was a great interview. Thank you, my friend. You wrote a terrific book. You should be proud of yourself. Thanks what's so much the, for what's having next, me. I, what's next sure. on the agenda? What, what's the next book? Illusion? Well, hopefully there'll be a little, there'll be a little bit of time to sleep uh, sometime <laughs> along the road here. And then, and then, you know, still very, you know, I, I love public schools. I think public yeah. schools are really a window into everything that we care about most in this country. And so uh, definitely we'll still be, still be writing about schools one way or another. Yeah, I'm telling everybody, first question, how are the schools? That's what it's all about. Yep. Okay, Ben, you're terrific. Thank you for being here today. I really appreciate it. It's great to know you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome, my friend. Have a good day. Take care. Give my regards to the old hometown. Bye-bye. Will do. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Right? That's Ben Harold, everybody. Benjamin Harold. I want to say that the right way. He wrote this great, I'm telling you, the book's terrific. Okay, Disillusioned, Exploration of America's Suburbs. Uh, I'll read the uh, subtitle again to you. It is Five Families and the Unraveling of America's Suburbs. Good stuff. Ben, thanks a million. We're going to archive over at ace-ed.org. My name's Larry Jacobs. This is Pre-K-12 Education Talk Radio. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.